You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You are listening. That's great. It's good to see you this morning. My name's Tom. I lead the team here. And uh, as Matt said, we're going to be continuing our series looking at the church. What is the church all about? We've been going into the New Testament and looking at the various metaphors or pictures for the church. We've been looking at the church as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, as the family of God, as an army, looking at it last week. And today we're looking at the church as a holy nation. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd like like it if you could turn to 1 Peter and chapter 2. We were in this passage just a few weeks ago. And we're just going to read one verse out together uh, from this, and they're going to come up on the screens as well. Let me read this to you. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Should we just pray together and ask for God's help as we unpack his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and that it brings change in our hearts. I pray this morning that you would bring change about in our hearts and our minds as we look into your word together. Amen. Amen. Okay, so it's been a big week in terms of world news. Wednesday really did happen. Donald Trump really is the uh, president-elect of the United States of America. And in a couple of months' time, the man who can barely control his thumbs when it comes to Twitter, is going to be in charge of the nuclear codes of the most powerful nation in the world. It's quite concerning, isn't it? It's quite concerning that the man has said some downright awful things, and now he's now going to be the President of the United States of America. I just want to make a quick comment about that um, before we, we delve in. It's related to what we're going to be speaking about today. God is in control. God is in control, and uh, we need to be praying for Donald Trump. We need to pray that he will have success in making America a great country, not in the sense of America being great uh, and conquering the world militarily, but actually a a sense in which it will really welcome uh, the poor and the needy and really will be a place where people can uh, come to know Jesus in freedom and all these kinds of things. We need to be praying for America. Uh, I really do think that's important that we we do indeed pray uh, for the United States. Now, one of the big uh, issues in the election in America was the issue of immigration. It was probably one of the top three uh, big issues that uh, swayed the election in Donald Trump's favor. He has vowed to kick out 11 million illegal immigrants uh, from America. And this is a massive claim. I'm not quite sure if he even knows how he's going to do that, but that is what he's claiming to do. Immigration was a huge deal in the election. One of the reasons why it was such a big deal was that in 2040, so not, not many years from now, America will be a majority non-white nation, and so, which, has, which will be a big uh, change for many, many people. So many Americans, many particularly white, white Americans, are fearing what that might mean for them as they will no longer be in the majority and no longer holding uh, the, the, the balance of power. And so this has really swayed things, I would suggest, massively in Donald Trump's favor. The same could be said in this country. There's been massive change uh, in this country over the last 30 or 40 years. Looking just at the censuses this week, 1991 census, 93% of the population of Britain was white British. Uh, 2011, so just 20 years later, 
79% of the population white British. Huge amount of change. In London, in our capital city, 45% of the capital city of this country is white British. So actually, white people are in the minority, or white British people are in the minority in our capital city. So a huge change. I'm not uh, offering that with any uh, comment other than that is, that is the fact. In Ipswich, uh, really, uh, very much along the national averages, 20% of Ipswich uh, is non-white British. There's 70 languages spoken in Ipswich. Here's the top 10 in order if you're interested. English, Polish, Portuguese, Lithuanian, Bengali, Kurdish, Russian, Filipino, Turkish, and Latvian. Those are the top 10 languages spoken in our town. And against uh, comparable towns in uh, terms of population, Ipswich is the sec- has the second highest percentage of households where no one has English as their first language. So taking towns that are of a similar size in this nation, Ipswich has the second highest percentage of households where no one has English as a first language, second only to Luton, which is a very diverse place indeed. So my question this morning is, what does this produce in you? Does it produce in you fear or does it produce in you excitement or something in the middle somewhere? Can I suggest that for some it might produce fear? For some who might actually fear a loss of wealth or a loss of influence or a loss of national identity. For some it might actually produce some excitement because it might be that God is doing something so exciting and there might be such an exciting opportunity for the gospel as this is happening in our nation. But I just want to unpack a little bit uh, for some of you who might be fearful and actually ask you to question why you might be fearful. If you're fearing a loss of wealth, well, you need to come to see that if you know Jesus, he has promised that as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you'll have everything else you need. Okay? That's what he's promised you. I sometimes, when I look at the promises of God in the Bible, I, um, I, I come to think of the promise and I think, if I had just seen Jesus um, crucified on the cross, if I had been there and, I, and I'd witnessed it, him really being thoroughly executed, it really was, it was dead, right? And if I'd seen two or three days later him walking out of a tomb, I think I would believe his promises. I think I would take every word that he said as absolute truth. And so he has said, Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. Everything else will be given to you, everything else you need. So really, as Christians, we should not buy into this kind of look after number one first. Okay? We shouldn't, we shouldn't buy into that. That's a, that's a big deal in this country whereby uh, it's kind of keep, keep the wealth to yourself, um, look after number one. Um, so much so that you know, two or three years ago, uh, the country was in a big recession. David Cameron uh, decided that this country would honour the commitments, the aid commitments that Britain was going to make to third world countries. And he was slated massively for it because people were saying, hang on a minute, we've got our own problems here, David Cameron, and yet we're giving away millions, maybe billions of pounds in aid to other people. Now, absolutely there's poverty in our country, but relative to uh, nations in the third world, it really, it, it doesn't even begin to compare. But there was such a backlash against him for, co- uh, for honouring that commitment. There is a real kind of look after number one first attitude that as Christians we cannot buy into. So if we fear a loss of wealth, if we fear kind of maybe we won't be as wealthy as we once were because people are coming in and taking jobs or whatever it might be, come to to see that Jesus has said, as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you'll have everything else you need. 
It's good news. You fear a loss of national identity, maybe. As we've unpacked this series, we've seen that our identity is not primarily based in what we do or in our background or where we grew up. Our identity is primarily based in who we are now in Christ as individuals and as a community. Our identity now is found in the fact that we are in him. That's our primary identity. So whilst our country may change and some of the things that our country comes to be known for may change, our identity is as citizens of heaven. I'm a proud Brit. I'm kind of a weird mix of Welsh and Norfolk and other things. But ultimately, my identity is that I'm a heavenly citizen. I don't belong here. This isn't my ultimate home. That's not uh, where I find my identity. Maybe you fear a loss of security. Well, the Bible says that we're inheriting an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're, we're inheriting a kingdom that nothing can threaten it. Nothing can cause it to be defeated. We are going to be in God's kingdom from, from now and in, in eternity. And therefore, we mustn't fear the, the, the earthly kingdom we live in being shaken because we're inheriting an eternal kingdom. So I just want to ask you, if, if those statistics that I read out to you, if they make you fear, I want to encourage you to look at the bottom of that. What is underneath that fear? What is it that you fear? And actually, there's gospel truth in this book that will help you to overcome that fear as you really take it to your heart. Are you with me on that? So when it comes to immigration, please... Don't hear what I'm not saying because Christians can hold a spectrum of beliefs when it comes to immigration. You could believe in open borders. You could believe that anyone could come and go as they please. Or you could believe that maybe immigration could be restricted uh, for, for economical reasons or, or whatever it might be. Christians can hold a spectrum of beliefs on that. But I want to help us to see that actually what is going on right now is actually quite exciting. Because God is bringing the nations into our nation. He's called us, hasn't he, as Christians, to go into all the nations. He's given us a very clear commission. And he's making our job a little bit easier by bringing people from other nations into our nation. And actually, many people coming into our nation are even bringing the good news to our nation, which is desperately needed as well. We've got a clear call to the poor and needy, haven't we? I believe we have, you know, when it comes to people seeking asylum from war and terror, I believe we've got a real mandate to care for, as if we were caring for Jesus himself. But we can really hold a, a spectrum of views when it comes to immigration. But I want to cause us to see this morning, it's actually quite exciting what God is doing in amongst the nations. Even, even through horrific things that are going on in places like Syria, I believe that God is going to do something. He's going to bring good out of that. Even, even that, God can bring good out of it. A friend of mine, Wendy, came and spoke to me earlier. She said, I've just had a picture in my mind for some time now of Aleppo and Jesus standing in Aleppo, which is this city that's been so ruined by war and him shining in that city. You know, we, I believe God's going to do something through that. We've got to pray for it, pray it in. So that was a bit of an aside really, but it really ties in with our subject today, looking at what it is to be a holy nation, what it is for the church to be a holy nation. You need to understand that I'm not this morning speaking on the church being a holy nation because it's in some way politically correct. All right? It, at the moment, it's politically correct to pursue racial diversity. That's a big tick in the box of governments and so on. If David Cameron were here, as he once said, the church would be getting with the program on this one. 
That's not what it's about at all. The church isn't to be getting with any program other than the program of what God says in his word. That's the program we've got to get with. But certainly it's popular at the moment to pursue racial diversity in terms of it's politically correct. But that's not the reason why I'm speaking on this this morning. It's actually, as we're going to see in a moment, it's, a, it's something that Jesus is passionate about. It's not that we're trying to be in any way um, ticking some boxes of what the government thinks we should or should not be like. You know, political correctness has gone mad, as they say. It's political correctness has gone mad. And actually, so often, underlying it is fear. I'm, I'm fear of saying something that I shouldn't say, fear of making myself look stupid. And it's not really, there's not a basis of love that the Bible uh, would want us to have. So this is not uh, in any way trying to get with the program. This is something that has always been part of the program for the church. The church has got it wrong in many years gone by. Uh, th- th- this country's got it wrong. But I'm calling us to grasp afresh the truths of the gospel, which lead us to pursue racial and ethnic diversity and harmony for the glory of God. So why don't we turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is talking in this passage about the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. So Gentiles, if you're not familiar with that term, was what the Bible, uh, what the people of God, I suppose, called people who were not Jewish. And so uh, the Jews and Gentiles, that, was, that, was any, every, that described everyone in the world pretty much, Jews and Gentiles, because there was Jewish people and there was non-Jewish people. And how the, the non-Jewish people were far off. They were shut out from the people of God. That's what we see in the Old Testament. And then we pick it up in verse 13 together. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the key passage, really, that we're unpacking today uh, together. There seems to be hostility and division everywhere, in neighborhoods, in towns, in countries. Um, Certainly uh, in America, uh, they've pretty much just voted, and it's half Trump, half Clinton. There's a lot of hostility going on right now, people rioting, and uh, hostility really has marred world history. There has been uh, hostility and division throughout the history of the world. And we see here that one work of Jesus on the cross was destroying his hostility. It's not just that the work of Jesus on the cross isn't just for you and I as individuals to, to come to know forgiveness, although that is a huge part of it and a part of it that we celebrate every single week. But one work of the cross is that hostility between races and nations could be destroyed through what Jesus has done on the cross. That is one glorious uh, one glorious result of the cross. Through sending his son, God has made it possible for that wall to be knocked down. And Jesus is now making one new man. We see in that verse in Ephesians we've read, a new humanity, a new holy nation for his own possession. That's what he's doing in the world. One day, people from every tribe and tongue will come and bow before him. John Piper, a great preacher in America, writes this, it was the explicit aim of Jesus in his earthly ministry, to save and gather 
a people of God, not defined by any one race or ethnicity, nor any political banner, but rather defined decisively by faith in himself as the only saviour, absolute Lord and supreme treasure. Thus his mission was, among other glorious things, the end of ethnocentrism. So when we understand what the gospel has done for us as individuals, and when we understand that what Jesus through the cross is doing in the world, it will destroy racism in our lives and in our communities. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 We see a picture of the future, what's going to happen at the end of time. The inhabitants of heaven are singing to the risen Jesus. They're singing this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's the end of all time. We see that. They're singing to him. Worthy of you. You've ransomed people for God from every nation and tribe and people group. So there's three implications of these truths that I want to unpack for us today. There's going to be an opportunity to respond to this in prayer at the end of this meeting in in a a number of ways. I want to just highlight that to you. There'll be a prayer team over in the corner here. First implication is this. We pursue racial diversity because of the cost, because of the price that has been paid. Jesus' death paid for a multicolored people. God intentionally purchased a people that is extraordinarily diverse. From every continent, every color, every tribe, right down to the most remote tribe in the Amazonian rainforest. He wants it all. He's committed to it. He's so committed that he sent his son who paid for this with his own blood. So it's more than a social issue. It's more than a political correctness issue. This is a blood of Jesus issue. And salvation is far more than about Jesus and me. It's far more than that. Morris spoke last week a, bit, a little bit on narcissism and how we, this viewpoint of life is all about me and everything's all about me and I've just got to look at myself all the time. No, we need to lift our eyes and see what God's doing in the world. It's huge. It's absolutely enormous. And we get to be a part of that, which is a real privilege. This was costly for God. He sent his own son. He, his son who he had been with from eternity past He sent his own son into the world and witnessed his son being arrested and wrongfully tried and tortured and then, then killed on the cross. This was costly for God, but it was a cost that he was willing to pay because he is drawing for himself a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. This is a cost that leads us to take this seriously, not as a political correctness experiment, not as a thing that's quite nice, but as something that is seriously important in God's eyes. It's a priority for Jesus. And so we pursue it seriously. Amen? Second thing, second implication, we pursue racial harmony in our church for the glory of God. I've used the word harmony deliberately here. Harmony doesn't just mean coexisting peacefully. Harmony speaks of an intertwining. Harmony speaks of something that voices come together in harmony. Just as we've heard this morning from the band, the voices singing in harmony, different uh, tunes coming together, creating something beautiful. That's what we're talking about here. When we're talking about racial harmony, we're talking about people from different ethnicities and countries and backgrounds coming together, intertwining in relationship, in community, in friendship, and being a beautiful voice to the world. This is something that we pursue for the glory of God. I have personally 
I've personally been so enriched. I've been so enriched by people of other nations. When I've spent time with people from different countries, I've been so personally enriched by it. In this church, in churches that I've been part of previously, when I've gone overseas and I've uh, spent, I haven't had a chance to travel much, but when I've gone overseas and uh, spent time with uh, believers from other nations, I've been so personally enriched. It's helped me to understand God more. It's helped me to understand what he's doing in the world more. It's helped me to, it's helped me to appreciate what heaven will be like more. And it's, so, it's been so personally enriching for me. But it's far more than about personal enrichment. It's about the glory of God. The church took racial harmony seriously. We look at the, the pattern of the New Testament church, in, particularly in the book of Acts. They didn't get everything right. Um, they got some things wrong. That's why we have the letters that we've been reading out from this morning, because the apostles had to kind of put some things right in some churches. But really, they had a lot going right. And one thing that they did well was racial harmony. They got th- some things wrong in this respect as well. The Apostle Paul had to tackle uh, the Apostle Peter and said, look, you, you're getting some things wrong here because Peter wasn't uh, associating with non-Jewish people at times because there were, he, he didn't think that was allowed. And so Paul had to say, no, look, look what's happened. That God's bringing people together now. This, this wall of hostility has been broken down. So they didn't get everything right. But there's a church in Antioch. We read about it in Acts chapter 13. It was a big church. Many, many people part of it. Many people sent out from it uh, for mission. It was a wonderful church. And we look in Acts chapter 13. We see the leadership team described. This was, according to Rodney Stark, this uh, city, Antioch, Rodney Stark, a historian. It was one of the most uh, racially diverse cities in the empire. However, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of kind of people didn't get on with each other. There was a lot of segregation. And yet this church, let's read out from Acts 13. We see the, the, the leadership team there. You've got a guy called Barnabas from Cyprus. You've got a guy called Simeon from Africa. Uh, probably the same guy who carried Jesus' cross for him, incidentally. You've got Simon of Cyrene and Lucius of Cyrene from uh, North Africa. Then you've got Manius, who was from Jerusalem. And then you've got Paul, who was from Turkey. This was a leadership team that was really diverse. They were demonstrating diversity in a city where people didn't get on with each other because there was so much suspicion of other people groups. So Rodney Stark commenting on this. He said racial integration was one of the things that made the early church distinct from other religious groups. It led to its rapid growth. Local churches were the one place in the Roman Empire where differing races actually got along. Their racial harmony gave them a chance to explain that Jesus was not only a Jew, but the Lord of all humanity, the saviour of all races. It's inspiring, isn't it, to hear about this. This was This was a priority of the early church, racial harmony. It gave them a chance to glorify God. So it's personally enriching, but it's God-glorifying as well. There was an intertwining, a mixing of cultures, a mixing of gifting. So do you get that? Jesus, it says in that verse in Revelation we read out together, that Jesus ransomed the people for God. It's for God's pleasure and for his glory that Jesus did this. It was for him to, to magnify God, that he's pulling people together from all kinds of different cultures. So just a few things that I want to exhort us to, really. Firstly, let's pursue friendships with people from other nations. I'm looking at every single person here because all of you are from a nation, all right? You're from somewhere. Whether you're a mix of various nations or what, you're from somewhere. Pursue relationships, pursue friendships with people from places that are different to you. It's a beautiful thing. It will, it will help you and you will help others. 
It will help you to understand more about God. Let's, let's pursue lifelong friendships, really enriching friendships. Let's do it because it will show the world that there is some good news here that we've grasped that knocks down a wall of hostility. It knocks down a wall of suspicion. It knocks down a wall of mistrust or misunderstanding. Let's pursue friendships. Let's hold loosely to our cultural preferences. We all have our preferences about how we like things to be done, right? So even this morning, you, you, came, you came here to church, you probably have a preference about how you like to have the lighting or how you like to have the music or how you like to have the coffee or whatever it might be. We have preferences. And some of us have preferences about particular styles that would be different to styles from people from different cultures or nations. Let's hold these things loosely. Let's hold these things loosely because actually it might be that in the years to come our music sounds very different to the way it sounds now. It might be. I don't think God has a preference for light rock. <laughs> I, I, I think he, he might like other styles of music as well. So let's hold these things loosely. Let's confront racism in our own hearts. I'm looking at everyone here. Let's confront racism in our own hearts. It's a sin. It's a serious sin. It's not something that uh, can, be, can be joked about. It's, it's something that is really serious. And it's not just amongst the older generation. I think younger generation, we can sometimes think, yeah, the generations before us racist because of the various uh, civil rights movements and all this kind of stuff and slavery and all, all things that have gone past. We can think, well, we're, we're, we're beyond that. No, I'm looking at us as a younger generation too. And I really do think that there's, there's something that God wants to confront in all of our hearts here, where we are suspicious of people from other nations or, or whatever it might be. Confront racism in your own heart in the same way that you do with any sin. Recognize it, repent of it, turn away from it, say that's not where I want to go. I want to go in God's way. Get to the bottom of it. Where does the, what, what lies are you believing? What truth do I need to believe in its place? I'm not... Friends, I'm, re- I'm really just not just talking to the majority of, I don't even know if it is a majority of white people here. I don't know. I'm not just talking to white people here. I'm talking to people from every continent of the world and saying we need to absolutely confront this in our own lives. So let's lay down our preferences. Let's pursue friendships. Let's admit where we've got things wrong and where we've been sinful. It's costly. It really is costly. It's hard work. It's easier to hang out with people that are just like you. That's why in this town and all over this country, there are homogenous churches where it's one people group, either all white, all black, all Asian. That, that happens all, all across this country. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, slamming those churches. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's harder to pursue racial harmony to the glory of God. It's a lot easier just to hang out with people that are like you, Right? That goes, for the, that goes for all of life, not just church. It's a lot easier to hang out with people that are just like you, who have similar backgrounds, similar stories, similar uh, worldviews, similar preferences. It's a lot easier to do that. But Jesus, he calls us to do things that are costly. He calls us to make sacrifices. He calls us to take up our cross. And he's wanting to see something beautiful here. I really believe that in this church, this church is going to shine It's going to glorify God because of the beautiful racial harmony in this church where people are really genuinely intertwined, where people are genuinely in in good friendships, where there's a real kind of, you know, in Acts chapter 2, 
it's a phenomenal chapter just describing the early church, how they were in, each, in and out of each other's homes, sharing what they had, really doing life together. When we live that out here, and I think we are more and more, but when we live that out here, it really will cause people to sit up and take note. A result of the Acts 2 community, God added daily to their number, those who are being saved, daily. I want to see that here, do you? There's many ways in which we'll see that, but I believe that one way is, is through community being beautiful, through community really looking different. I really fear that the, the one thing I suppose I fear that would maybe cause us as a church to miss out on the destiny that God has laid out for us is laziness. I really do. I, 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 Morris spoke a little bit about this last week and passivity and just inactivity. I, I think that we can so often buy into this kind of comfort idol that says, I just want to blob on the sofa and watch Netflix. Or I just want to just scroll Facebook until my fingers hurt. This, this, this kind of deal. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Rest is good. Those things are not wrong. But I do think that in, in, in so many ways, we can, we can grow deeper as a community and, and really uh, experience something beautiful, but display something beautiful as well that will be so God-glorifying. And I, I just so often think we will choose comfort over that. And I think God wants to draw us out of comfort. You hear me? I want to call us to look at a, a prophetic word now. The third implication is, uh, of, of, of what we've read together really is that we heed the call to the nations. As I said already, God has made our task a little easier in some respects by bringing the nations into this country, but there's still a call to go. There's a huge call to go and to uh, take the gospel to other nations, to see churches established. And I want to just uh, draw your attention back to a prophetic word we received last year uh, from Len South, who's one of the elders here, he goes to the nine o'clock service, and he, um, he, he saw this was a morning that we launched, uh, rather that we told the church we were going to go to two services. It was an exciting morning. Len said this, I suddenly had a clear picture, and it was as if I was a, in a helicopter looking down on the sea. Below me was an aircraft carrier moving at speed. The helicopter got closer. It began to circle round, and I could begin to see the size of it. God told me that the aircraft carrier represented Hope Church. It was the size of a town with hundreds of people on deck working. They were bringing aircraft up from below onto the deck. The hold was full of aircraft, as this was the cargo. The aircraft were being lined up along the edge of the deck. As I got closer, I could see that although the aircraft were the same, each one had the marking of a different country's air force on the wings. They were being prepared to go to the countries they represented. They would fly there, but with the intention to return to the aircraft carrier, which was their base. The aircraft carrier was a mobile airport and very maneuverable with a long cruising range. The helicopter then gained height, and I saw that I was looking down on other ships as well. Cruisers, destroyers, frigates, all kinds of support ships. They were part of relational mission. That's the movement of churches we belong to. We were steaming together on a mission. So really this is a prophetic call upon our church. We believe in the gift of prophecy today. We believe the Bible contains all of the stuff we need to know, guys, but we do believe God speaks into specific situations and to individuals and says, this is what I want you to be prioritizing. And friends, we believe that in the years to come, 
maybe even in the months to come, we're going to send people. We're going to, like these aircraft that we've been being prepared, they're going to be sent to the nations to see the name of Jesus lifted high. We are not just talking about nations in far-flung islands and rainforests. We're talking about nations on our doorstep where the name of Jesus is not really celebrated. His name may not even be known. I was speaking with a friend of mine who leads the team at uh, the Relational Mission Church in Bury St. Edmunds. He said he goes out onto the streets each week and young people know the Quran. This is a very... Um, Bury St. Edmunds is a very nice place, isn't it, right? And uh, it's uh, very, I suppose, middle class. And spe- he's speaking to young people all of the time who know the Quran. They're not from a Muslim background, okay? They're not, f- not uh, Islamic. He says, but they know the Quran, but they've never, ever read the Bible. They don't really know anything about Jesus other than the Christmas story. This is the reality in this nation. But there are nations on our doorstep that are even more secular than this, where you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who believes in the Jesus that we believe in, who believe that Jesus is anything more than a nice, warm feeling that you get at Christmas time with a picture of a baby in a manger. So... We've got a big mission. Morris, one of the other leaders at the church here, has been in three different nations in Estonia and Latvia and Finland over these last few days. There are tiny churches that he's supporting at the moment. People who have gone, who have laid down things here or wherever else they lived, and they've laid down things in with the goal to see churches established, to see the gospel preached. And uh, they're not going to necessarily get any notoriety for it. They're not going to get a big applause from lots of people for it. But they're being obedient to God's call for them to go. And uh, I really do think that there's going to be some, even in this room here, who will, will heed the call to go. Who will, God may have even been laying on your hearts nations, in, even in this sermon. He might have spoken to you and just laid a nation on your heart. And it might be that you go in five years or ten, but you need to start talking to people about it. It might be that you don't even go for long term. You might go and help a, a, something to get established. But he's laying nations on people's hearts. And we need to be obedient to that call. We need to be obedient to it. And I really do believe that we're going to see many uh, people sent out from here uh, to do incredible things for Jesus. And so I want to just call us afresh to that this morning, that Jesus wants a beautiful, multicolored church from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he's going to have it. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. It's not like, you know, sometimes we talk about inviting Jesus into our lives. <laughs> Now we're getting invited into his big mission in the world. That's what we're getting invited into. We get to be a part of it. It's super exciting. Are you excited? Let's pray together. And then there's going to be some time to respond in singing and also with individual prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you will have a people for yourself, for your own possession, from every nation, tribe and tongue. And we thank you, Lord God, that you've got a big part for Hope Church to play in that. We thank you, Lord God, that each one of us here has been uh, just hearing your good news today in a country where there's freedom to do that. We know that in many nations there's not that opportunity. And so we just pray, Father God, for doors to open in nations where your, your, your gospel is not proclaimed. We pray, Father, for people here that they would receive from you a heart for the nations, whether or not they go, they would receive a heart from you for the nations to pray, to give, to support others, to help others on the way. 
I pray that there'd be some here for whom you just drop nations and hearts now. Lord God, there's still small voice that you would just be dropping nations and hearts this morning. And I ask, Father God, that we as a church would step into all that you've spoken to us about in the years to come. We would step into it. Lord, that we really would see these aircraft sent off to other nations. And that we really would be hearing stories on uh, return of gospel advance. That we'd be hearing about men and women coming to see you for who you are, Jesus. And I pray that each one of us would give ourselves in this church and in this town to beautiful racial harmony of an intertwining of lives. Lord God, help us to lay aside pride. Help us to lay aside fear. Help us to lay aside comfort and laziness. Help us to push forward and to see a community of people here that is like the Acts 2 community. That there would be people looking on thinking, I want to be a part of that. And that that you would add to us daily those who are being saved. So we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. We live for your glory. We want to get get involved in your purposes on this world. We love you, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.